God of love, take my words and speak through them. Open our ears and our hearts to hear what you have to say to each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Do please be seated. It would be really tempting to preach about weather today with that reading, wouldn't it? I think we can all spot the scorching heat and, oh my goodness, how we, and especially the farmers, are longing for rain. But sorry, that is not the sermon you're going to get. I'm going to start with a quote. Come mothers and fathers throughout the land, and don't criticise what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly ageing. Please get out of a new one if you can't lend a hand, for the times they are a-changing. Who wants to put their hand up and tell me who wrote it? Not in the back, because I know you're cheating. Right, that's my family, for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> who wants to say, go on, exit, Bob Dylan. Bonus points if you can tell me what year he wrote it. Samuel, you've heard the sermon, so you don't count. <laughs> Earlier. 1964, and for the purists among you, released in 1965. Don't go home and look it up and complain I got it wrong, because I did look it up myself. Well, I couldn't get that song out of my head this week after I had read today's gospel reading. Look back at Jesus' words. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And perhaps you hadn't noticed, but maybe you already had, but Jesus is not just talking about family division here in general, as you might have one side of a dinner table wanting to go one way for a political election and the other side the other. Notice this is generational division. His divide falls along generational lines. And it's this sort of generational shift that Dylan is evoking in his song. I think it's fair to say, but we all recognise that the 1960s was indeed a huge time of cultural and social change. The times, they were a-changing. But the same is true today, and I think this song still holds up. In fact, in 2017, it was reworded by Billy Bragg as a protest song against the current state of US politics. We won't talk about what happened in 2017 to set him off, um, but, and also about climate change. He, he worded the first verse, come gather round people wherever you roam, admit that the waters around you have grown, accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone, for the climate is obviously changing. And he goes on, but the man in the White House says no one's to blame, for the times they are a-changing back. But the new generation is once again driving change. And I think we can see that especially in the push for action about climate change. Think back a few years when no one seemed to care, when no one seemed to be listening, our young people rose up as one and said, what about our future? The school climate strike, when thousands of young people boycotted school 
and marched demanding protection for the future they wanted to see. I walked with some of them through Gloucester that day back in 2019 and all I can remember was the hope that I felt inside me for the future that they were calling for. It felt like times were a-changing. But then every generation tends to bring about some sort of change, for good or for ill, depending on where you're sitting. There's always a new idea, a new way of thinking, some new technology, a new way of living and being. And it is always easier for us to see change as a bad thing. None of us like change, after all. But generational change is nothing new. It's very easy for us to fob off that way. But right back in the 4th century BC, my good friend Aristotle said, young people are high-minded because they have not yet been humbled by life, nor have they experienced the force of circumstances. They think they know everything and are always quite sure about it. Well, when it comes to climate change, I think they can't afford to be any less than high-minded, quite frankly, or they'll have no dry land left to stand on. But let's temper it a little. G.K. Chesterton, writer, philosopher, lay theologian, holds a slightly more balanced view looking back at history. He says, I believe what really happens in history is this. The old man is always wrong, and the young people are always wrong about what is wrong with him. The practical form that it takes is this, that while the old man may stand by some stupid custom, the young man always attacks it with some theory that turns out to be equally stupid. Or, in other words, paraphrased by Reverend Hever, the new generation that is so high-minded and right at the time will turn out, in its turn, to be like the old generation that just calls out the next. I hear myself doing that to my children all the time. <laughs> I hear the words of my mother in my own mouth. But Jesus himself cannot have been a stranger to this sort of dynamic. Just think, how must he have appeared to those people in the first century? Coming along with his new interpretations of old teachings, this young upstart prophet challenging the status quo and daring to suggest that things might be different. You can't go far in our Gospels without seeing stories full of the elders of Israel being challenged and not wanting to, to think their ways need to change. The thing is that 2,000 years of Christian tradition means that we have automatically come to always read Jesus' words as right and the elders of Israel as wrong. We are Christians after all. But it, the second nature that that has become to us blinds us to the fact that Jesus would have been really challenging at the time. If he appeared today, would our reaction, Christian as we are, be any different to the challenges he gave us? It is so important to ask ourselves that question. Are we as stuck in our ways as Israel had become back then? Do we need a wake-up call? And where is that wake-up call going to come from? If a new and younger generation is always what drives change, then frankly the church might have a bit of a problem. 
because we are not exactly bursting at the seams with young people. Thank you for those of you who are here today. This is about as big as it gets. What are we going to do if our voices of the young are not coming from within the church? Use them. You're going to have to shout louder, young people. You are going to have to be the voices for change. But in the meantime, we're going to need to look outside of our walls for our topic, for our prophets of today. I wonder why that is. Now, that's a whole different topic for a whole other day, and I'll leave it, leave it to everybody else to work that out over the next months. But for now, again, we remind ourselves that we are so familiar with our scriptures, we are so used to hearing them, that we all too often forget how radical they were 2,000 years ago. We need to remember that they challenged then and have continued to challenge for over 2,000 years. Only this week at the Lambeth Conference, in his second keynote address, in case you want to look it up in full, Archbishop Justin Welby addressed the gathering of bishops from all over the world, the whole Anglican Communion, and he spoke of the Magnificat, that is the song of praise of Mary when she finds she is expecting the birth of Jesus. It's at the start of Luke's gospel. And he said this. He declared it to be a statement of revolution, not comfort, the statement of a revolutionary. The East India Company forbade its singing in Evensong in the churches of the parts of India that it ruled, lest the local people got the idea that God was like that. It means that we are revolutionaries. The Magnificat as a statement of a revolutionary. Well, think about that next time you recite it during evening prayer. Doing so makes us revolutionaries too. We are revolutionaries. Now, the word revolutionary has perhaps become less appetizing over this century but we would do well to reclaim it for Jesus because he was nothing if not a revolutionary. Change and reinterpretation, prayerful reevaluation and reflection is and always has been right at the heart of our faith. Jesus was and always remained a Jew. The early church had no intention whatsoever of founding a new religion, they were reforming the one they already had and worshipping the same God that they always had done. And we see time and time again in Acts and all the epistles that the early church had to wrestle with well-established traditions that seemed to not quite cut it once the faith spread outside of Jewish areas. The story particularly of Peter and the blanket of clean and unclean food springs especially to mind. And all that reflection and a further 2,000 years of reflection and reformation have gone into making us who and what we are today. And we are still being challenged. And nowhere at the moment more so than in the church's position on sexuality. And I'm sorry, I know that this is controversial and that there will be many different views in this room today. But we are an inclusive church. It says so outside the door. 
And so we must be willing to talk about it rather than shy away and leave it to somebody else. The rest of the world is talking about it and we need to as well, especially this week after Archbishop Welby's comments at the Lambeth Conference. At that conference, he held the middle ground between those wanting to hold to traditional teachings of marriage and gay relationships and those who want to or already have prayerfully reflected and reformed for change. In one sense, the conference was a success. In many ways, it was. But everyone's still talking to each other and nobody has left the Anglican Communion yet. But much hurt has been done once again to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters when he reaffirmed a statement from the last Lambeth Conference that rejects all homosexual practice as incompatible with scripture. It will continue to unhelpfully dominate our debates and our thinking for years to come. But look outside the church and most young people will tell you that it's not an issue for them People are people. Love is love. And we know more about being human and understand sexuality better. Why are we so set in our ways? Aren't there better things that we could be upset about? Sandy Toxvig has written an open letter in response to Archbishop Justin. And yes, I know that at 64 years of age, she doesn't fit into the criteria of the younger generation. Apologies if that offends anybody, sorry. Um, but I think her words would resonate with our young people today. And since they're all over Twitter and all over everywhere else, you're gonna have some of them. She writes, oh, Justin, are you saying that the Bible teaches us that none of us can ever learn from experience? That we can never grow, that we can never gain a deeper understanding of human behaviour than we had 2,000 years ago? I wonder, is that really where we are, that we can't afford to even talk about this? We must. We must talk about it. I can't. And I won't stand here and tell you what each of you must decide. That is for you to do. But I can and I will say that it is your job as a Christian to prayerfully consider this, to think about it, and to ask the questions of God and of Scripture and of those around you. It is a real issue that affects people's lives. It is not an academic argument. Just this week, once again, I had to explain to a lady why I was unable to marry her to her lifelong partner. And all the rational explanations about traditional understandings of marriage and holding the Anglican communion together just isn't going to cut it in that situation. Because all she hears is that the church, and by definition God, says no. Sandy Toxvic words it like this in her letter. These people, they don't feel loved. And love, Justin, is supposed to be at the core of what you do. It's like top of your job description. How do we reconcile things that are difficult and different sides of our teaching? I haven't got the answer for you, but we must do the work. The new generation, though, is challenging us to reconcile that no with the less than full inclusion 
and our call to love. Bring love to the world. And so, in summary, you will be pleased to know, generational change is nothing new. But it is up to us to prayerfully decide whether to block it or go with it. And so, in that sense, I leave you with some words from Bob Dylan, because he's far more poetic than me. And as I wrote this, it struck me that this verse really quite echoes the revolutionary um, sentiment of the Magnificat. Come writers and critics who prophesize with your pen and keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again. And don't speak too soon for the wheel's still in spin and there's no telling who that it's naming. For the loser now will be later to win for the times they are a-changing. Amen. Oh.